0: I love classic monster movies. I spend about an hour a weekend going through the upcoming listings on TCM looking for anything that might be monster movie related. I check every Saturday night's listing on Me TV to see what Sven is gonna be hosting. I read books about them, I subscribe to magazines, I listen to podcasts, I'm involved in a couple of different message boards, usually as a lurker, but still I'm there. And I'm always looking for new monster movie stuff, classic monster movie stuff on YouTube. Now that said. It took somebody actually posting a link to a particular YouTube video on a message board for me to become aware of Vanessa Crystal. She's posted a handful of vlogs. She's a blogger, and she likes classic film. Not just horror movies, but she likes classic film in general. If it's black and white, she's on board. But if you go through some of the YouTube videos, you'll see that she actually grew up watching a lot of these movies. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and the original Bela Lugosi Dracula both rank really high on her list of favorite films and the stories she tells about how she discovered these movies and why they're important to her Well, it's the kind of thing that we talk about here on monster kid radio it's classic modern day monster kid stuff however she did post a youtube review of the movie the creature from the black lagoon and well let's just say that she and i disagree I want to welcome you to Monster Kid Radio. This is episode 84. I am your producer and host, writer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. For any new listeners, we try to put out a new episode twice a week. Every Tuesday and Thursday, there's going to be something in your Monster Kid Radio mailbox. Whether you listen to us via iTunes, Stitcher, any other podcast directory or catcher, we are there. You can also find us directly at our website, at monsterkidradio.net where you can check out everything that you need to know about Monster Kid Radio, previous episodes, links to our own YouTube channel, our Live 365 channel, our Flickr album, and our contact information. Let's get that out of the way real quick. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And we've got a phone number. It's 503 4795 MKR. Now that's a voicemail line. If you have any thoughts about anything you hear on this or a previous episode of Monster Kid Radio, I'd love to hear what you had to say. Keep in mind that that's a Google voice phone number, which means you got a three minute time limit on any voicemails that you might leave for the show. And any voicemails that you call in and leave for me, I may include in a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. This is the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies of yesteryear. And I'd like to welcome everybody to the first Monster Kid Tutorial. I've been thinking about doing something like this for a while here on Monster Kid Radio, and my reaction to this particular YouTube video would serve as a good vehicle for the Monster Kid Tutorial here on Monster Kid Radio. I don't have a set schedule for Monster Kid Tutorials, just whenever the mood strikes, whenever the fancy hits me, and whenever there's something to react to in the classic monster movie realm. So let's talk a little bit about Vanessa Crystal. She's in her 30s, she loves particular types of classic monster movies. If you go and you look at some of her other videos on YouTube, she talks about her love of Dracula, and I got to agree, Dracula's a wonderful film. She also loves things like House of Wax and likes movies like The Thin Man and Rebecca, you know, from Alfred Hitchcock, although she doesn't like some of the more classic standard Hitchcock fare, not a big fan of Rear Window or The Birds, things like that, and everybody's entitled to their opinion, and it's not that she's wrong, I just disagree, like I disagree about her thoughts about The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Full disclosure, this movie is my favorite film of all time. I love this movie. I have loved this movie since the first time I saw it. I could spend hours and days just consuming everything there is to consume about Creature from the Black Lagoon and its sequels and what it meant to monster movie dumb, what it means now, what it means to me, what it means to you. It's just my favorite film. So full disclosure, I'm going to be a little bit biased. In January, Vanessa posted a video after she did some sort of live tweet-along watching the film with her friends online. I guess she watched it on TCM. She calls the YouTube video TCM Party, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, and she has a book full of notes about the film, and most of them were not very kind. And honestly,
1: this was the silliest horror movie I've ever seen in my life. Like, this was beyond silly. Is
0: The Creature from the Black Lagoon a horror movie? Well, I guess kind of, sort of yes, it's a monster movie, it's a horror movie although it's a science fiction film as well and it's really a Beauty and the Beast kind of story a la King Kong, it's just wet and green but is it a straight up horror movie? No, it's not and I think that's probably where people start to go sour, at least people that I associate with online start to go sour on her review of the film I
1: don't know, like I honestly don't know how people in 1954 could have been scared of this movie, I would have been laughing my ass off as i was last night
0: i suppose there's a sort of too cool for school kind of hipness involved with laughing in some of these older movies and yes they do have some limitations and i think if a modern audience were to look at creature from the black lagoon cold like she obviously did yeah there are going to be some elements that do come across a little silly however because she brought it up Let's talk about the target audience of this film in 1954. It's not the target audience of Dracula. It's not the target audience of House of Wax or Abbott and Casella meet Frankenstein or The Thin Man or Rebecca. Now, this is a very specific type of movie for a very specific type of demographic. And I think if you put yourself in the shoes and the mindset of the kind of people that willingly sought out this film at the movie theater, plunked down their money to sit in a place outside of their home, not with t- Twitter going, but to actually sit down and focus on a film in 3D, you might find that the movie's a little less silly and a little bit more a snapshot of the time in which it was filmed and released, which is one of the things that I really enjoy about watching these older movies and discussing these older movies here on Monster Kid Radio or the message boards or on my blogs or in person or that stranger on the bus that I was talking to the other day on the way home. Well, I don't know if he was actually listening.
1: The first thing I noticed actually from this movie was... It was relatively quiet until we'd get a glimpse of the, the gill man. And then cue music, this menacing theme music, would like pop on. So it would be quiet, quiet. Then it would show, I don't know, the camera would pan to some seaweed and the creature hiding in it. And then all of a sudden, dun, 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 dun. It was so stupid. It was like, okay, buddy, we know we're supposed to be scared of this guy. Just stop with the music. Again,
0: I'm just looking at some of her previous videos. She's a big fan of Dracula, which is almost completely bereft of any kind of musical score. In fact, Swan Lake is played prominently during the opening credits, but that's about it. There's not a lot of music in that film. So, I can't help but wonder if she's comparing Creature to Dracula, and if that's the case, yes, Creature is filled with music, and yes, that stinger, that classic stinger that became associated with the Gilman and pretty much any other universal science fiction film for years, it does appear every time the Gill Man appears on screen. However, this is not a unique thing. Think about some of the other horror movies or monster movies or science fiction films well, let's look at movies that were released during her 31-year-old lifetime. Let's look at movies that she has no doubt seen before. Jaws, that's a classic riff. Friday the 13th, anytime Jason Voorhees shows up, you get the... I mean, these musical stingers and elements are part of the appearance of the monster on the film. Is it silly? Is it too much? While the music in Creature is very bombastic and not very subtle... I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing.
1: The patch of hair on both of the guys' chests. Now, uh, Dave and Mark, I think were their character names. They had no hair anywhere else on their body except for this one patch of hair that they both had on their chests. And the thing was was that they both had, I know, actually one guy had like blonde hair. I can't remember if that was Dave or Mark who cares. But the guy with the blonde hair had this patch of, like, black, black chest hair. And it's like, but the guy's got blonde hair. His eyebrows are light, too. So, I mean, that would have meant that the rest of his body hair would have been light. So I'm thinking that the, the visual effects people just plop this fake chest hair on him. The wrong color. But um, I, I definitely think that the manly chest hair should have been listed in the credits because every those guys were topless all the time in their tight bathing suits. And when they weren't fighting and frolicking with each other and looking lovingly into each other's eyes, their their chest hair was on display. I don't
0: really know where to go with this one. The patch of chest hair being a slightly different shade of black or gray in a black and white film, I have no response I have dark hair on the top of my head. The hair on my arms, the hair on other parts of my body is not the exact same shade as the hair on the top of my head or my eyebrows. So I suppose it is possible and probable the color of somebody's hair on different parts of their body is going to be slightly different. I don't think that it really looks like a special effect. I certainly don't think the chest hair needed to be listed in the credits. It's not that prominent. However... Thanks to Vanessa, next time I watch the movie, I'm sure I'm going to be looking for it. It's also during this part of her reaction to this film that she seems to lose a little bit of credibility, and I don't mean that as an insult, and I don't mean that as a dig. I'm not questioning her as a reviewer. I mean, this certainly isn't technically a review, I suppose. It's more of a reaction to watching the film with her friends online. So, she can certainly be excused a little bit for that. However, there is a lack of credibility that tends to start creeping in the minute you start mixing up character names, or even admitting that you forget the names, or you forget who's who. It's not to say that you can't make a mistake, and you can't be honest, and you can't be raw and on the fly. I mean, we've done that here on Monster Kid Radio in the past. However, if you want to be taken seriously and want to have your thoughts taken seriously especially in a medium that relies so heavily on visual and audio presentation and you're being critical of an element in a film you probably want to take ownership of that by not presenting yourself in a less than authoritative manner you can have your opinions own the opinions but at least get the names right especially if you're going to imply or just flat out state that the two men in question have more than just tension between them because they are both interested in the same woman and they have differing points of view regarding what they should be doing in the Black Lagoon in the first place. Vanessa spends quite a bit of time commenting on and pointing out that our two male leads – whose names are David and Mark for the record spend an awful lot of time gazing into each other's eyes and as she says frolicking no that doesn't happen in the film now if they had no big deal who cares however that's not what's happening in this movie and the way she brings it up is incredibly dismissive if they were doing that if there was something like that just beneath the surface of this film why bring it up in such a dismissive borderline offensive way that said i don't think that's here in the film at all they're swimmers they're athletic, they're going to the Black Lagoon, they know they're going to be swimming, of course they're wearing trunks and nothing else. I'd wear trunks and nothing else if I was going into the Amazon. Probably wouldn't want to see it, but that's how I would dress if I was in the hot, sweaty Amazon, diving in the water, and trying to show off for the girl.
1: The other thing that made me really laugh was uh, when Kay had her white bathing suit on and she was swimming uh, by herself and the creature was following her underwater And then she started doing these the the Esther Williams underwater backwards loops. (laughs) And I was like, okay, is Esther Williams going to come out of the seaweed? Because, you know, if we're going to be starting a water ballet here, why not have her?
0: Okay, perhaps this is a valid criticism of the film. While the scene does serve the purpose of introducing Kay proper to the Gill Man, It doesn't seem to make a heck of a lot of sense that Kay would swim away from the boat so far that Lucas would have to yell for Miss Lawrence to come back. You're too far out. It doesn't make sense for her to do that when she's already been portrayed as a smart, intelligent, capable person on the verge of some true women lib stuff at the beginning of the film. It doesn't quite make sense in terms of character or real plot. However, it does make sense in terms of cinematography because it's a beautiful scene. It sounds great. It looks great. It gives the Gilman an opportunity to fully and truly develop some sort of obsessive desire over Kay, over the white woman in the white bathing suit in the middle of the Amazon. It's absolutely necessary for the film.
1: You have this creature that's like prehistoric that can tear these people apart with with his hands because he's got nails longer than Barbara Streisand. And he's hiding in seaweed the whole flipping movie. Like, buddy, what are you doing? He's just down there in his head and the seaweed is, you know, all rustling around him. It's like, I, I, I can't possibly be scared of this movie if the dude is hiding in seaweed For like 85% of the film.
0: She does almost make another valid point here. The Gill Man is capable, dangerous. We've seen him kill. We've seen his strength. We've seen his claws. We know he can take somebody out. However, I would point out that you're always told that if you're wandering around in, say, Yellowstone National Park and... You think there might be a bear nearby, you just make a lot of noise and scream and make sure your presence is heard, because they're just as scared of you as you are of them. And I would say that perhaps the same kind of thing is happening here. The Gill Man, one-on-one, maybe one-on-two, he feels confident. He can take out some of the people at the very beginning of the film. Big, noisy, stinky, polluting boat comes into the lagoon, something that he has probably never seen before, with a bunch of people splashing and yelling and screaming and carrying on. Yeah. I would think that, as a creature, he would be scared at first. Now, he doesn't stay scared for the entire film, but when we first see him, and, you know, he's kind of checking things out, yeah, of course he's going to kind of hide out a little bit.
1: The aquatic Ghostbusters. Really? (laughs) Seeing these divers in their short shorts, nothing else on, with these tanks strapped to their back, and like a harpoon gun. First thought that popped into my head, Ghostbusters. I'm going to hear the theme music. A uh, slimer is going to come in from out of the seaweed. Oh, my God.
0: Aquatic Ghostbusters. I kind of like the idea of seeing Peter vankman and company taking on some underwater ghosts. That would be kind of neat. Maybe see some walking skeletons, a la the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. That would be kind of neat. I'd like that. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see how those weapons operate underwater. That would look really cool. However... Let's talk about the creature from the Black Lagoon and talk about what these characters are doing here. They're here to study an animal and study a region. They did not come in loaded for bear. They did not come in with explosives and guns and protective diving suits. No, they came in to study because they are scientists first and foremost. That they have any kind of weapons at all, well, thank Lucas for that. And, well, Mark. But, realistically, David and Kay and company... They did not go on a hunting expedition. They came in here to study, learn, and take pictures, for crying out loud. Maybe look for some more fossils. That they found a living, breathing gill man in the Black Lagoon? Stroke of luck. Well, I'm sure that's what they were thinking at first, anyway.
1: Oh, my Lord. And towards the end of the movie, the final, like, underwater fight, I don't know if it was Dave or Mark, I don't know which guy died, but one of them, he was, like, at point-blank range, face-to-face with the gill man, and the guy misses. <laughs> even the camera zoomed in. There was a shot of the guy, like, aiming his harpoon uh, gun, and he misses. What? Did, like, a torrent of water just, like, knock you off course or something? What? How can you miss?
0: Now, outside of still not being confident in who is who, she seems really hung up on this harpoon gun. Now, I've never fired a harpoon gun, so I'm coming at this from a place of ignorance. However, I would imagine that firing a harpoon gun is a little bit more complex than firing a gun itself. There's no gunpowder. You're underwater. There are currents and everything else going on here. Plus, it's not like the barrel of the harpoon gun is bored like a rifle would be so shooting straight and true not going to be as easy as it would be if you were on land or using something other than something powered by air additionally this movie was filmed in 3d so of course there's going to be a shot of the harpoon being aimed right at the camera it's part of the 3D package you see these gimmick shots all the time in 3d movies back then and even now
1: And then you have, of course, the woman in the background screaming because that's all she did the whole picture was, okay, this is what she did. She swam and tried to imitate Esther Williams. Uh, She paraded around in short booty shorts, which was nice. (laughs) And then she screamed, like, at every 20-minute, no, sorry, 10-minute interval, and then she gets molested by the gill man uh, around that tree where she trips over her own feet. I don't know what she tripped on, but she was like, and she just fell over, and then the the gill man picked her up. And I don't know how, is he used to picking women up like that? He's lived in the water his whole life? Whatever. So all she did was scream. It's like, you're useless. Do something. This is why... I hate watching old horror films. One of the reasons why. Because women are pictured to be so helpless. It's like, if I was on that boat, and I had just been molested by some stupid prehistoric fish, like, I'd be mad. I wouldn't just be lying in my bed, you know, thinking, and then you come out of your bedroom, oh, I couldn't sleep. Yeah, you look troubled. Okay. Like, something's been preying on your mind. You look like you just got out of the spa. Perfect hair, Perfect makeup. Whatever.
0: Okay, now we're getting real close to a secret cow for me. Everybody knows about my interest in Julie Adams, and I realize that sounds creepy. However, I think that her portrayal of Kay Lawrence in this film is pretty blasted good. I think the character is pretty solid. Now, it's been pointed out to me by many that a lot of the Universal Monster movies have these love triangles. And unfortunately, the woman in these love triangles a lot of times gets short shrift when it comes to character development. I would suggest that Kay Lawrence does not get that short shrift, at least for the first half of the film. Now, when she puts on the bathing suit and she starts doing the dance number that we talked about already, yeah, things kind of shift a little bit, and she does become the item of desire by not just David and Mark, but the Gill Man as well. So it's no longer a love triangle. It's kind of a love triangle rectangle rhombus thing polygon of love that's what we'll call it and the character of this focal point of this love rhombus is necessary for what the rest of the movie is trying to do for the rest of the story do i wish that Kay lawrence spent a little less time screaming yeah sure But I think to say that she was nothing but a screamer and nothing but somebody who screamed a lot and ran from the monster and tripped over her own heels, I think that there is no justice in that. That is an incredible disservice to the character in the film. Now, Vanessa continues to talk about how Kay's reaction and further actions after being attacked, or in her words, molested by the man, don't necessarily seem realistic to her, that she's portrayed in perfect hair, perfect makeup, that she looks like she's just a little troubled now that she was attacked. Well... Here's the thing about these movies, and she should know this, and we all know this. These movies from this time period, everybody was made up. Everybody looked like they just came out of the spa. You know, if you look at a Western out of 1950s Hollywood, everybody's got the bright, shiny teeth, the perfectly combed hair, the clothes look great. You know, that's just the fantasy of these films. It's part of the package. As a modern movie viewer, I do wish that maybe some of these female characters had a little bit more spunk, a little bit more yuspa, a little bit more will. However, again, we have to look at these films as products of their time. And as products of their time, I think it's fascinating to look at movies like this and see how far we've come in terms of women's roles. It can be argued that women's roles in Hollywood still aren't as great to say probably could be, but we've made a lot of progress. And I think a movie like Creature from the Black Lagoon does demonstrate that 1950s Hollywood could start to get it right. You go back and you look at some of the other movies. I'd even say a movie like Dracula, the women roles. They're not that important. They're plot devices. They're part of that love triangle, but are they just there to move the plot along or do they actually contribute in any kind of meaningful way? I don't think they do.
1: Oh, another thing that made me laugh was at the end when the creature gets the girl, they go underwater, and then they, they surface at some, like, cave. Uh, and then he places her down on the rock. And then the the diver who's still alive, Mark or Dave, whatever his name was, comes to find her with his harpoon gun. And uh, this, this bat <laughs> flies out, out of nowhere.
0: The bat, okay, a little out of place, sure. However, again... It's not unique to this film. How many films, even today, have that cat scare? I think perhaps one of the more famous cat scare scenes occurs in the film Alien. I mean, Alien. It's a classic. It's recognized as a classic, an important science fiction film by Ridley Scott. Wonderful film. And even it has that cat scare where, you know, there's the scary, 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 and then boom, here comes the cat to relieve the tension. I'd argue that the bat was designed to relieve any tension for an original 1954 film audience. Does it work today? Not so much, but again, put yourself in the headspace of somebody who saw this film when it was produced, when it was released.
1: Uh, and then my last note, which I actually wrote down in my notes, but I passed it here. Um, was when the guy who got his face torn off, when he was lying in that bunk in the boat and the creature's hand came in through the porthole and was trying to, like, uh, attack the guy, <laughs> one of the divers fought, him, fought the creature's hand off with, with what looked like me, like a, what looked like, uh, I can't even say it, what looked to me like a wooden spoon. Now, I'm Italian, And whenever I used to get in trouble, my mom or my grandmother used to chase me around the house with a wooden spoon, you know, the wooden cooking spoons that you like stir pasta with.
0: And this is my favorite part of her reaction to the film, because instead of kind of walking this weird line between reaction and review of the film and trying to be funny and trying to get the thumbs up and trying to get more people to watch future YouTube videos and trying to get the views, she actually gives us a personal story, something that meant something to her. While she is a little dismissive about the scene and the context, it's nice to hear about her memories of being chased around the house by someone wielding a wooden spoon. And despite having all these problems with the film, she actually admits that it was an entertaining film for her and she had a great time watching it. And I'm glad she did. However, I would suggest that she go back to rewatch the movie. And again, Keep in mind the era in which the film came out. Maybe learn a little bit more about the filmmaker Jack Arnold. Get familiar with some of the other films in his filmography. Familiarize yourself with what Universal was like in the 1950s. View this film as a bridge between the classic monster movie and the sci-fi movies that Universal would become very famous for in the 50s. Now, she did type later in some of the comments that she thought the costume, the Gilman design, was, quote, actually pretty good. Especially considering the film was made in 1954. So... Take that and apply that to the entire film viewing experience. I'd also recommend perhaps watching the movie without having Twitter up and running, watching the film without having your computer on or worrying about who's following you on Twitter and reading your tweets and trying to get a laugh or a retweet. I wouldn't worry about any of that. Sit down and watch the film because this was made and released in an era in which, That's what you did. You sat down in a darkened building and you watched the film with a bunch of other people all wearing 3D glasses. In the end, I don't think Vanessa's wrong. I'm actually sad for Vanessa that she's not able to watch a movie like the Creature from the Black Lagoon and get the same charge out of the film that we get. We're lucky, I suppose, that we have all these films that are available on Blu-ray or DVD or streaming or appear on TCM every once in a while that we love and enjoy so much. Warts and all, The Creature from the Black Lagoon is a solid film, a solid monster movie, definitely has a home here on Monster Kid Radio and my DVD and Blu-ray shelf. I am going to keep an eye on Vanessa's YouTube channel. I've subscribed to it, so if she posts any more reviews of monster movies, I'll see them. I'm interested to hear her talk about something other than Bella Lugosi. I do wish that she would kind of clean things up just a little bit, maybe tighten up her presentation, work some editing in, maybe give us more than just a static shot of her sitting in front of her bed, and perhaps giving us a few more stories about why these movies are important to her. I know why she loves Dracula, and I know why she loves Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I want to hear more. I want to hear more about her love for these films, why she likes the black and white films, and why these films resonate with this particular 31-year-old. I hope you've enjoyed this Monster Kid tutorial. I've had a lot of fun putting this episode together for the listeners of Monster Kid Radio. People who have been listening to the show recently know that I've recently had some family emergencies come up. I recently lost my grandmother, and I've had to spend some time between Arizona and the Monster Kid Radio studios up here in Portland, Oregon. And I haven't had a lot of time to put together the typical content that we have here on Monster Kid Radio. If you're a new listener of the show i to recommend that you go back and listen to some previous episodes to kind of get a feel for what we normally do here on this podcast. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, we're going to have some recordings from the final film in the 2014 Cinescopio series that took place here at the Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon. For three months, one night, Cinescopio descended on the Hollywood and showed a Lucha Libre film. We had Santo, we had Blue Demon, we had Nomuscarus, we had Mummies, we had Martians, and earlier this month, we had all the monsters. Santo and Blue Demon took them all on in Santo and Blue Demon versus the monsters, or you might know the film by its original title, which I cannot pronounce due to a birth defect. This was a Monster Kid Radio crash event, and there were a number of Monster Kid Radio crash regulars at the Hollywood Theater. You're going to hear all of us talk about the film, the night. You're going to hear recordings from the fashion show that took place. It was just a great time, and I can't wait to share that with you guys and gals next week here on Monster Kid Radio. If you happen to like the show, if you like what we're doing here, and you listen to the show through iTunes, I'm going to ask you for a review, an honest review in the iTunes store. We're doing a 50-review challenge right now. Once we get to 50 reviews in the iTunes store, I'm going to launch a new spin-off show. It will be a show devoted to nothing but Creature from the Black Lagoon. As of this recording, we are still hovering at the 40-review mark. Ten more reviews, we start production proper. What kind of things will you hear in the Creature from the Black Lagoon spinoff show? Well, we're going to talk about the movies, of course. I have a mini interview with Riku Browning that I did at a Crypticon Seattle a couple of years ago. I have a top ten list of things that I love about the Creature from the Black Lagoon, not named Julie Adams. I've been working on a weird, brainstorming, mind-mapping, family tree-like thing in which I've connected a number of my other favorite monster movies to this film through either actors or directors or actresses. I have some planned interviews with other big fans of Creature from the Black Lagoon, and last summer, Creature was shown at the local drive-in, and I went two of the three nights that it showed, and I recorded there as well. Talked about the drive-in movie experience of watching Creature, And recorded with Ray, you've heard him on the show in the past, as well as illustrator Devin Devereaux, you've heard him on the show in the past as well. So we're going to hear that in this special Creature from the Black Lagoon spinoff once we get to 50 reviews in the iTunes store. If you are a user of Facebook, I'm going to ask you to give us a like on the Facebook page. Now, we have a Facebook group as well that you can join and get involved in conversations with other listeners of the show. But on the Facebook page, we're trying to get to 300 likes by the end of March. Now, are we going to do it? Well, we might with your help. We are at 275 reviews right now. Not bad considering where we started at the beginning of March. If we can get to 300 likes on the Facebook page by the end of this month, I'll do a little dance and Who knows what else? But we'll celebrate. That's the goal. 300 likes on Facebook, 50 reviews in the iTunes store, and two more episodes of Monster Kid Radio coming next week. So we'll talk then. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Now, we did use some clips from Vanessa Crystal's YouTube video. We use those for review purposes only, so they do fall in that fair use category. And we're going to go out on a song called The Creature Stole My Surfboard. It belongs to the band, The Dead Elvi. It appears on their album, Graveland. You can find out more about them over at deadelvi.com or you can follow the link in the show notes. It appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with their permission. Talk to everybody next week.
2: I was shooting sure the pipeline My surfboard. Yeah, the creatures stole my surfboard. He was slippery, he was slimy, seaweed hanging from his arms. I had a funny feeling it was cause for some alarm. He kept squatting at my feet, he knocked me off my board. When I service he was hanging down, headed for the shore. Yeah, the creatures stole my surfboard. Yeah, the creatures stole my surfboard. Hey, the creatures stole my surfboard. Yeah, the creature stole my servo